Welcome to the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Lee Frame, Director of the Integrative Medicine Programs here at GW. I'm Dr. Emily Ho, Director of the Linus Pauling Institute and Professor in the College of Public Health and Human Sciences at Oregon State University. Today, we're talking about vitamin C. For many people, this was the first vitamin they have ever heard about, and it's mostly due to one man, Dr. Linus Pauling. His research put vitamin C on the map, especially for its role in the common cold. Because of the efforts of Dr. Pauling, the Linus Pauling Institute now stands as a world leader in the study of micronutrients, phytochemicals, and other dietary factors, and the role these compounds can play in promoting optimum health or preventing and treating disease. So there's no better person to talk to us about vitamin C than the Linus Pauling Institute's own expert, Dr. Alexander Michaels. Dr. Michaels has has many roles within the Institute, but he mostly functions as our science communications lead, working to disseminate our research to people who need it most. Although Dr. Michaels' own research focused on the genetic factors that determine vitamin C levels in the body, he's well-versed in all aspects of vitamin C. Alex, it's great to have you here with us today. Welcome to GW Integrative Medicine. Thanks, Lee and Emily, for having me on. Absolutely. So let's start with the basics. What is vitamin C? And then what sets vitamin C apart from the other vitamins we talk about? I used to say that vitamin C is a carbohydrate, uh, although then I recently looked up the definition of a carbohydrate and it basically just says sugar, you know, is a carbohydrate. Um, the reason I said vitamin C is a carbohydrate is because it is. It's just like carbon, hydrogen, and oxygen, and it looks remarkably like a sugar. Um, but strangely, um, it, it, it's the slight differences between glucose and vitamin C that really sets it apart. And it, it's um, got this unique circular structure in the middle of it. Um, so sometimes sugars can fold back onto itself. And this molecule is also folded back onto itself. And because of that, it has this unique electron donating capacity. And we think, oh, well, electron donating capacity, so what? That's just chemistry. But that's actually everything that vitamin C does, whether it's um, being part of an enzyme cofactor in the body, which, you know, most people have heard of vitamin C being involved in collagen and it vitamin C is involved in donating electrons to the collagen uh, modifying enzymes uh, or being an antioxidant, which it donates electrons to oxidants to make them less reactive. Uh, it's either way, it's just do- giving away electrons. And then the body can just put those electrons back on through different mechanisms, um, reduce it. We call it redu- a reduction reaction. So it's just this unique reducing, recycling sugar molecule um, that the body has somehow decided that it's going to be important in, in the way we do things. Vitamin C is, is part of the, the water-soluble uh, vitamins. Um, it was actually given the, the name C because it was found after the B vitamins as the water-soluble B vitamins. Then there was the water, then they found another vitamin that was water-soluble and they had C. Um, it's a remarkable antioxidant. It's not alone in being an antioxidant. Vitamin A and vitamin E are both antioxidants, but those are lipid-soluble antioxidants. So it's it's a water-soluble antioxidant that is involved in very specific enzyme 
processes. I mentioned collagen earlier. It's also involved in producing carnitine in the body, which carnitine is used for uh, the mitochondria. The mitochondria uses carnitine to, to produce energy from fat. Uh, it's also used in other biosynthetic processes. Uh, it's involved in um, norepinephrine uh, synth- synthesis, uh, other neurotransmitters, um, basically just various things throughout the body that requires an electron, uh, a hydroxylation reaction to be more chemistry about it, to, to, to function. So it sounds like vitamin C has a lot of a different essential roles. Uh, how are people are, are people getting enough vitamin C from the food that they eat, or uh, do they need to take a supplement to get those needs? That's a good question. Um, I think it just depends on what you're eating, really. Um, vitamin C is abundant in fresh fruits and vegetables, and I say fresh on purpose, because once you process that fruit or vegetable, the processing includes cooking, you may destroy vitamin C. So if you're eating an abundance of fresh fruit and vegetables, you're probably getting enough vitamin C to meet the RDA at least. And it's, it's really not hard to reach that by just eating, you know, one or two servings of fruit. Vegetables tend to have less vitamin C than fruit. Um, but, you know, you can still get it from certain vegetable sources as well. Um, citrus fruit, of course, that's, you know, what we know vitamin C is, is being abundant, abundant of citrus, but it's, it's present in berries and, and, um, a variety of other fruits. So, you know, you get your five servings of fruit and vegetables a day, you're fine, uh, in terms of the RDA. Now the Linus Pauling Institute recommendation is a little different than the RDA. And the reason we set it uh, as we did, which is 400 milligrams per day for men and women, is because of some intricate pharmacokinetic studies that were done by uh, Dr. Mark Levine at the NIH. He was looking at feeding young, healthy adults various amounts of vitamin C, um, kind of escalating doses and trying to see where we just kind of maxed out in terms of both vitamin C absorption and plasma levels of vitamin C. And this was about 200 milligrams roughly a day. Um, and you, you had maximal plasma levels. You had, you know, maximal amount in, in the white blood cells that they measured. And, um, and that was thought to, you know, give everybody maximum antioxidant protection in the blood. But these were young, healthy adults, and there's kind of some variability in how people absorb vitamin C. So because of that kind of fudge factor, we don't really know if older individuals have the ability to absorb vitamin C the same as younger individuals. Also, you might have a genetic polymorphism that exists that kind of alters the way your body handles vitamin C. We decided to go uh, err on the on the 400 milligrams per day side rather than the 200 milligrams per day side. Um, that's a little harder to achieve through fruits and vegetables. It's still possible. Uh, you know, certainly, um, especially if you're eating abundant sources of vitamin C fruit throughout the day, you're probably fine. But if you're not eating fresh fruit and vegetables um, regularly, then a supplement is probably necessary. 
Very interesting. Um, I, I feel like you're bringing up some really important factors about what we don't know, which I always really appreciate understanding what what we're we're basing our understanding on and what we still don't know. Um, one of my my thoughts is: Are there any dangers to taking too much vitamin C? Yes and no. Um, vitamin C is like is one of the safest vitamins out there. I, I mean, I hesitate to just say go ahead and take them as much as you want. <laughs> But um, it is relatively low toxicity. I mean, um, and this is kind of borne out by multiple studies of people taking huge amounts of vitamin C and just seeing very few ill effects. Now, that doesn't mean there's no ill effects. Um, One of the most prominent effects, if I started taking a couple grams of vitamin C all at once, just without having taken vitamin C at all, I probably get some pretty bad gastrointestinal side effects. And that's because your body can only absorb so much. So everything that you don't absorb gets put into the intestine. And sometimes the bacteria in the intestine have a little bit of a field day uh, with that amount of vitamin C. The body also tends to flush out things it doesn't want. And by flush out, I mean diarrhea. Um, And so you get, you get, Anything from heartburn, um, nausea, uh, gas, bloating, diarrhea, you know, you can with large doses of vitamin C. There also is a concern. I don't know how founded it is in the literature. I mean, there's, I know the two papers that have brought this up, but that's it. Um, that there could be a uh, kidney stone risk uh, with excessive amounts of vitamin C. And by excessive amounts, I'm usually referring to um, the tolerable upper the tolerable upper intake level, which is 2,000 milligrams of vitamin C per day. But some people can see these effects at even 500 milligrams of vitamin C per day. So, you know, if you take a vitamin C pill at 500 and all of a sudden you're not feeling too well, don't be surprised. I mean, just... Your body can adjust over time, but I wouldn't really push it. Um, it the, the, the kidney stone risk is a possibility because vitamin C can break down into oxalate and calcium oxalate crystals are basically one form of kidney stones. Um, but oxalate is present in a lot of fr- fruits and vegetables that uh, mostly vegetables that we eat. So it's hard to say that oxalate's really the problem. I mean, people who have uh, are predisposed to kidney stones, especially ca- calcium oxalate kidney stones, should probably be careful about vitamin C taking too much. Um, it kind of just says they can't handle oxalate very well. There's always this. Uh, recommendation of going on a low oxalate diet for those for the people who are predisposed, but um, but low low supplemental doses of vitamin C don't seem to be, cause that problem. So you know, just moderate your intake. I think. So, Alex, I've seen a lot of time-released vitamin C recently. Uh, is that something that would be beneficial, perhaps, for preventing these side effects? Is there any other benefit to a time-released vitamin C? Honestly. The data doesn't really bore, uh, bear out the benefits of time-release vitamin C. I theoretically it was it was a good idea because you give vitamin C you know a single dose and your body can only absorb a certain amount of it. Um, the limits that I usually tell people are 
somewhere on the order of 300 to 400 milligrams is about all we can absorb at one time. And so you'd think that a time-release formula, which would slowly meter it out, would prevent the, the transport proteins in our guts from being saturated. But it turns out it looks like it's less vitamin C over time, and I'm not entirely sure why. Maybe there's something going on with the time-release formula, uh, but it just looks like too little vitamin C is getting in versus what you would get from a, a large you know, dose of, of regular vitamin C. Uh, which would just be ascorbic acid all by itself. Um, so the time-release formulas, yeah, you know, people thought they were a good idea, but it seems like just taking a certain dose of vitamin C and breaking it up throughout the day is probably a better one. In terms of reducing side effects, uh, the time-release formulas don't seem to do that because anything that's not absorbed still gets dumped into the intestine. Um, the one formula that may reduce some of the side effects is the liposomal vitamin C. So this is kind of a lipid encapsulated vitamin C, which is supposed to help absorption, but also shield it from the body's own sensing mechanisms that there's too much vitamin C in my intestine. Uh, and so you might get less of the flushing reaction and then also less of the heartburn um, because some people taking that much acid uh, just causes nasty heartburn. And when it's encapsulated in a, a lipid droplet, it might actually help you better, assuming you can ha handle all that fat. Um, some of the other formulas, um, there's a buffered vitamin C, which is a sodium ascorbate. That helps with the heartburn, but it may not help with the things that go on lower down in the gastrointestinal tract. Also, I warn people about sodium ascorbate because even though it can dissolve readily in in water, uh, better than vitamin C, you know, the acidic form of vitamin C, it's actually less stable. So you have to like consume it right away because you want to get that vitamin C in an acid environment quickly because vitamin C is just more stable in acid. This also goes back to if you're eating vitamin C, like say you want to make a smoothie, for example, um, you mix up a fruit that contains lots of vitamin C in milk or yogurt, and it brings the pH closer to neutral, that vitamin C is going to degrade more rapidly than something in an acidic environment. So you really want to keep things slightly acidic, you know, kind of um, think about fruit juice acidic acid levels to keep it stable. Alex, you talked about uh, liposomal vitamin C um, uh, just there. Can you Talk a little bit more about that. We get a lot of questions about liposomal vitamin C. Why would you take it? What does it do? What are the advantages? What are the disadvantages? Yeah. Um, so one of the problems with taking vitamin C has been that the absorption has been limited. And this is just because the transport proteins, as I mentioned before, kind of meter out how much vitamin C gets into the body. And, and um, the liposomal vitamin C supposedly bypasses that mechanism. So the lipid encapsulation protects the vitamin C until it gets to your small intestine. The, the lipid droplets then kind of join with um, the intestinal cells, delivering the vitamin C directly into the intestinal cell versus through the transport proteins. And in theory, this would deliver a massive amount of vitamin C uh, into the bloodstream and uh, kind of there's a tight this 
control mechanism that the body has. It bypasses that control mechanism, at least on the intestinal side. And theoretically, you would get higher blood concentrations of vitamin C. Um, and supposedly better antioxidant protection when you're doing so. Because uh, if vitamin C is an antioxidant, then more of an antioxidant would be good. I say theoretically a lot in this, this question <laughs> because uh, the data only shows a little bit of a bump. You know, uh, Now, that said, there hasn't been very good information on liposomal vitamin C. There's been a few studies out there. They show a little bit of an increased absorption, but not so much that I'd say, wow, this is an amazing product. And one of the reasons that people turn to liposomal vitamin C is because a lot of the current research on vitamin C has been done on intravenous vitamin C. And intravenous vitamin C reaches much higher levels of blood, blood vitamin C levels than you would with an oral dosing. There's a lot of people out there who say that liposomal can get you to that intravenous level, and it's totally not true. Unfortunately, it's pervasive in the media and people's anecdotal stories on Facebook, Twitter, that if you just take liposomal vitamin C, you'll get to the intravenous vitamin C levels and you'll be fine. Not true. You just can't get there that way. You can get a little bit higher vitamin C, but it's not going to be anywhere near the intravenous vitamin C blood concentrations. Speaking of more theories, uh, Linus Pauling really made vitamin C famous by claiming it would uh, cure the common cold. Uh, where's, where's the research or truth, truth to this? Well, I mean, spoiler alert, it doesn't cure the common cold. Uh, <laughs> otherwise, yeah. it would be gone by now, right? Um, but it – so when Linus Pauling was first looking into vitamin C, um, he – was being plagued by colds himself. He actually was in poor health off and on um, in his older years. And, and by the time he discovered vitamin C, he was in his 60s. So um, he had a lifetime of just like problems, I guess you could say, to put it very vaguely. But um, so when he started taking vitamin C uh, by recommendation of a guy named Erwin Stone, um, he saw some miraculous effects. And then so he started going through the literature and saying, well, is anyone else seeing this effect? Is vitamin C having an effect on the immune system? And there were there were some studies, but not very many, uh, that kind of supported that idea. So Pauling thought, okay, large amounts of vitamin C might be good. Um, after Pauling came out with his book, Vitamin C and the Common Cold, that was back in 1970, there was a little surge in research around the topic, and it seems like vitamin C does help in certain aspects of a cold, but it won't necessarily cure a cold. It won't stop you from a viral infection. What it does seem to do is lessen the duration of symptoms, um, sometimes lessen the duration of symptoms to the point where you don't even notice them anymore. And... Um, for people who are undergoing physical stress, uh, it, it does seem to reduce cold incidents. So people who are working out in extreme conditions, people who are in, you know, very, uh, like there was a study with soldiers, I believe it was in, in Arctic training, um, very intense physical demands. 
vitamin C seem to reduce their cold incidence. So uh, there is something to be said there for vitamin C's effect on the immune system, but it's not a mir miracle cure by any sense of the word. It's just uh, very useful in supporting the immune system along with a bunch of other vitamins that we know and minerals. Um, it's not alone, but it's, it's helpful. So the impact is more on the immune system rather than the virus itself. Yeah, uh, I, I, yeah, I should have gone a little bit further into that. I mean, there, there's multiple effects of vitamin C in the immune system. We don't really know all of them. There's a lot of theoretical effects, but it does seem to bolster. I like to use that word, bolster the immune system. Um, kind of shore up some of the areas where you may be weak. Uh, it also protects the body from an overactive immune system because of its antioxidant properties. Your immune system uses oxidants to attack viruses and bacteria. Well, when your immune system goes haywire or, or gets overstimulated, it can spew out all these oxidants all over the place and your body just uses the vitamin C to protect itself, whereas viruses and bacteria don't have vitamin C to protect themselves. Um and yeah, so it just keeps your immune system functioning well. Um, there is some work with bacteria and viruses with intravenous vitamin C, but that's a whole different animal. So I'm glad you you brought up um, IV vitamin C again, because I feel like with the COVID pandemic, we've heard a lot about intravenous or IV vitamin C. Um, so is there science behind that or is this just hype? A little bit of both. Um, the science behind it uh, is that intravenous vitamin C bypasses the tight control mechanisms that I mentioned before, these absorption mechanisms that kind of meter how much vitamin C gets into your bloodstream. And so you can dump vitamin C directly into a vein. Surprisingly, it's non-toxic. Um, even 100 grams of vitamin C can be injected into someone's vein, and they have no ill effect. Um, and so when vitamin C levels get to this high concentration, we're talking about almost a thousand times higher than you would normally see in your, your, the blood. It, it adopts a new property, and this is, it's a pro-oxidant property. So now an antioxidant becomes a pro-oxidant. It actually produces um, superoxide and hydrogen peroxide. And these molecules, if you know anything about them, are very reactive or can be very reactive in certain circumstances. And so when vitamin C was first used intravenously, it was done so in the cancer field. And it was seen that cancer cells were more, or some cancer cells, I should be more specific, um, some cancer cells are vulnerable to uh, exposure to hydrogen peroxide. So it was thought that vitamin C could somehow knock back the cancer. I'm not going to say cure cancer, but it certainly could be uh, an interesting adjuvant treatment to conventional cancer therapies. It could shrink tumors in animal models, for example. Uh, and some people have used it successfully in, in clinical trials uh, to knock back cancer. Because of those peroxin properties, it also could be useful in treating bacterial infections and uh, viral infections. The problem is we don't really have a strong scientific foundation on how to use it, like what doses, uh, how quickly to administer it, um, and what the endpoints are that we should be looking for. So when COVID hit, everybody was 
really excited about the use of vitamin C. And sure, I'm sure that vitamin C could have a role in COVID and uh, IV vitamin C specifically could have multiple roles in COVID, but, but it did quickly get to the level of hype. Um, there were some studies down in China where people were getting intravenous vitamin C and suddenly were having remarkable recoveries, at least according to the reports. And people were saying we should be giving everybody intravenous vitamin C. Well, there's no there's no basis for that. Um, there were no random or no good randomized controlled trials to show that vitamin C alone could help people recover from COVID. But vitamin C, intravenous vitamin C, on top of conventional therapies, could help reduce the levels of inflammation, symptoms. Um, COVID is a disease where uh, with rampant inflammation, when you've got a bad case, severe COVID, uh, your vitamin C level can plummet. It's a lot like sepsis. It's just a system-wide inflammation um, attack. And your vitamin C levels can start to decline. Well, people thought, well, let's restore those vitamin C levels with an intravenous vitamin C because people are usually so sick you can't feed them vitamin C. And it does seem to help, but we're not talking about miraculous recovery. We're just talking about a supportive role. Um, that said, I would love to see more studies on intravenous vitamin C. I think it does have a place and we need to define it better. The current studies are a little mixed. They, they do support a role for IV vitamin C in some situations, but it's not clear exactly what it's doing. In some studies, it reduces the duration of COVID symptoms. In some studies, it reduces the need for supplemental oxygen. But there's too few studies at the moment to kind of say this is what it's doing. Um, I think, but I do think people should, uh, at least clinicians should keep an open mind in, in using IV vitamin C. Nobody should be seeking out IV vitamin C before they have COVID. I hear people going to these clinics, these vitamin clinics all the time, you know, shoot me up with these vitamins so I can not get COVID. It doesn't work that way. Um, and people have been called out by the FDA, uh, these these clinicians uh, who are just giving IV vitamin C to everyone, and the FDA is trying to shoot them down because they are claiming that they can cure the disease before it even happens. It, Yeah, it, there's no way that's going to happen. Particularly not with a healthy diet. Yeah. I mean, if you are keeping your vitamin C levels uh, maximized with a healthy diet and maybe a, sup a supplement, maybe even a multivitamin supplement um, to help support that, then you're probably in good shape if you do get COVID. Now, that said, once you do develop COVID or any other sort of um, ailment, uh, respiratory ailment, I mean, it just going to happen eventually, right? We all get a cold or the flu. You could consider some extra um, supplemental vitamin C to help, you know, help your body fight it back, uh, especially if it gets really bad and you've got a lot of inflammation. But most people are not going to be seeking out IV vitamin C in that in that circumstance. And most of the work that's been done with IV vitamin C is in a clinical setting. I mean, these are hospitals with the most severe patients. 
I think everyone's looking for that single magic silver bullet, and clearly mm-hmm. it's a it's a complicated story, uh, and more research definitely needs needs to happen. We wanted to mention the um, vitamin C and Linus Pauling Day recording. Oh yeah, um, yeah. So this year for Linus Pauling Day, which is February twenty eighth, uh, Linus Pauling's birthday, uh, we had a vitamin C webinar. Uh, featuring two vitamin C experts who are going to talk, uh, just talk about people's questions on vitamin C. And that will be available on the Linus Pauling Institute website, as well as the Linus Pauling Institute Facebook page, if anyone's interested. And both these researchers have done a lot of that groundbreaking work with uh, IV vitamin C and, and cancer treatment. Um, so it's, it's it's really fascinating. Yes, everyone should definitely check that out. Okay. Well, I think That is all the time we have for today. Fascinating talk about vitamin C, Dr. Pauling's uh, favorite vitamin. Uh, Thank you for sharing and joining us today, Alex. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Lee and Emily. It was a pleasure being here. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Lee Frame. And I'm Dr. Emily Ho. Thanks for listening.